Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton uh, in Boston, and for those... Uh, listeners who, um, regular listeners, when I am on, we talk usually employee benefits, insurance, and today will be no exception. A little bit of a twist. I have a, uh, a special guest, which I will uh, introduce in a minute. Um, but the plan for today is similar. So we will talk about uh, life insurance uh, for the first um, hour, uh, hopefully. And uh, the second segment, we will talk about uh, disability insurance and maybe even uh, long-term care if we get there. Um, but the best way to do it is have an expert who can uh, help answer some questions, some of my questions, and I'm sure some of your questions. Uh, my guest is my uh, good friend Josh O'Gara. Josh, good morning. Good morning, Pat, and thank you for having me. No problem, um, Josh. Good, good to. Uh, it's good that you are. Uh, we're still working in a remote environment, so you're joining us on the phone. Otherwise, you'd be here in a 90 degree studio with. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, it's not that warm in there. Come on. <laughs> It, it, didn't, didn't it cool off last night? You didn't open the windows or anything? We, we cannot open the windows here. Um, so um, so thanks, Josh, for, um, for joining us. As I mentioned, you know, some of our listeners, um, uh, I work on the um, uh, consulting brokerage side for employers primarily. So my clients are uh, group plans or, you know, employers that offer plans to their employees. Um, why don't you sort of introduce yourself to our listeners, you know, who you are, your firm, uh, and sort of your client, just so people know where our uh, perspectives are coming from as we discuss uh, these insurances. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Pat. Um, so I, I run an insurance practice here in Woburn. Um, I primarily work with individuals and small businesses. So um, there's a little bit of overlap between uh, what I do and what Pat does. Um, you know, Pat's, Pat's working with much larger organizations. Um, so I work with smaller companies, um, helping them set up plans, but also work with individuals uh, on the life insurance, disability insurance side of things. Um, I've been in the business for 15 years. I uh, started back in, actually 16 years now. I started in 2006 with, uh, with Northwestern Mutual in their Boston office. Um, and I've, I've landed at a couple different places since then, but I opened my own practice in 2017. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had, I've had some uh, experience both on the uh, large mutual insurance side of things, working with Northwestern Mutual as well as Mass Mutual for a little bit of time. Um, but I also have, uh, I have eight years of experience working on the brokerage side as well, where I was representing 40 different insurance carriers. And essentially, I was the um, 
the middleman between uh, insurance carriers and uh, advisors and their clients. So I was, I was shopping the market to kind of find the best deals or the best options for their clients. Um, that's kind of a quick overview of my experience. Um, but uh, again, thanks for having me, Beth. Yeah, no problem, Josh. And we'll start uh, slow um, because it, this is a, believe it or not, it sounds simple. Uh, but it's not. It's very confusing, or all of the insurance topics are, are somewhat confusing. Um, but you made a distinction, um, Josh, in your introduction that maybe deserves maybe a couple of more uh, a couple of more sentences or a little bit more explanation. So. Um, in our business, of course, we use these terms all the time, but some people don't know. You mentioned sort of agent and broker. Um, in terms of insurance from, uh, from the consumer's point of view, in other words, if I wanted uh, to go to someone to say, hey, and we'll talk about this you know, as we go through the morning, um, hey, I want the best uh, term life policy for you know, a million dollars. If you went to someone who uh, was an agent of a particular company, how is that different than going to someone who uh, is not uh, sort of an agent of a particular company? Just how does that work at a high level? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's a great question, Pat. Because um, the 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 distinction certainly, um, even for people in the industry, can get a little confusing <laughs> sometimes. And, and in fact, I still have direct contracts with with uh, a few companies. So when when you have a, a contract directly with an insurance carrier, you're considered an agent of that carrier, um, working on behalf half of that of that carrier. Um, so typically, um, where there's an agent relationship, you're looking at, at that carrier first for for um, providing options to your clients. Um, when you're working as a broker, you're you're essentially working on behalf of that client. Uh, not to say that the agents don't work on on behalf of the client, but you you no longer have a, a direct contract with that carrier. Um, you have brokerage relationships with multiple carriers. Um, so occasionally, um, as in my case, you, you kind of have different types of contracts for different carriers. Um, but that when you're talking from a brokerage perspective, um, you're essentially surveying the marketplace rather than just looking at one particular carrier and the Asian relationship. Um, so um, the distinction is, is it, it can be you know, confusing sometimes. Um, but it's important to kind of understand where where that particular advisor is coming from. Right, and I use the example, um, it's probably not a great one, but it's uh, everyone knows it. I use the example of Jake from State Farm. Um, yeah. Because uh, I say, well, look, if you go to Jake, um, you know, you're going to get State Farm. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's uh, yep. and and again, on our side of the fence, where we work for um, you know the employer, the groups, um, we all act as you know brokers, consultants. We can call ourselves different things, but typically uh, we don't work for the insurance company. Um, we work for the employer. Now, payment, which Correct. we may get to at some point, is how all of us get paid for services. It may look a little different um, because of the way it's paid, but we'll hopefully get to that uh, towards the end. Um, but, Josh, let's start with life insurance. Um, 
just again, let's start very high level. Um, what is, in its pure form, what is life insurance? It's essentially a risk transfer. Um, so life insurance, you know, protects protects an individual in a worst case scenario um, where they, you know, they, they pass away and then a given amount of money is then passed to their beneficiaries. Um, I say it's a risk transfer because, um, you know, death is a, a risk in all our lives. It's going to happen at some point in order to protect yourself and your family against that. Uh, you know, against that potential, there's you know a given uh, amount of money that would be needed if I were no longer here. What would my beneficiaries need to be able to continue the standard of living that they are used to right now? Um, so there's different forms of life insurance, um, but it's essentially a transfer of risk from myself as an individual to an insurance company. Um, to protect my family in the event I'm no longer here. And, and the way I describe it, Josh, let me know if you, how you think this sounds because you said it in your description. Uh, most people think of insurance that they have, like uh, um, homeowners, renters, car insurance. Um, there's, there's not the inevitability of an accident or a loss, but life, obviously, you know, as we sit here in 2022, uh, we're all going to die. Um, so I always describe it as life insurance is protection against dying prematurely as opposed to dying because we're all um, going to die. Does that, does that sort of help explain to people like why, why we, we'll get into you know, sort of the why in a minute, but uh, is that a good example or no? It does. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, I do think that sometimes it, it, there's a little bit too much of a focus on dying prematurely because, you know, in my personal opinion, there's always a need for, for life insurance for, you know, whether it's, you know, um, estate protection right. or, you know, um, uh, you know for, for uh, uh, legacy planning, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it, generally speaking, uh, particularly on, on for the needs that most people have, yeah, premature death is the biggest risk that you want to uh, um, address with life insurance. Right, and, and I, I get your point. That's what I was going to say, the why. Like, the majority of our listeners, uh, you know, the why is we need to protect our families. But obviously, people die uh, in anticipation of death to pay, de you know, taxes, right? I mean, that's that's the other the other reason. Um, so yep. it's almost like a, a built-in, uh, you know, sort of tax vehicle. Um, all right, so life insurance, basically, you know, uh, and again, we'll talk about maybe there's, it's not so, uh, it's not so, uh, it's obviously emotional to talk about with people. Um, and there are benefits that, to life insurance policies that you can use while you're still living, which we'll get into. Um, but in general, Josh, you know, life insurance, and I'll talk on the employer side in a minute. What are like the, um, let's, let's see if we can do like the top four types of life insurance and then we'll just, you know, sort of list them and then we'll go back and, and talk about each one, um, you know, the sort of features of each. Sure, sure. So the most common type of insurance that most people have either through work or individually on their own is term insurance. Um, and term, term insurance is uh, essentially a 
uh, a vehicle to protect you for a given amount of time for a set amount of money and uh, you're, you're, you're guaranteed the premium, your premiums for the, uh, the period of that policy. At the end of the policy, that, that coverage either goes away or the cost increases so so greatly that it doesn't really make sense to hold on to it after that. So um, term insurance is typically 10, 20, or 30 years. Um, for Again, for a given amount of coverage, there are policies now that are longer than 30 years, which is crazy. That didn't exist <laughs> when I first came into the business. But um, So that's term insurance. Um, and then there's a, there's there are a few different flavors of what's called permanent insurance. Permanent insurance lasts for the rest of your life as long as you pay the premiums on time, or there's enough value inside inside the policy to support it without paying premiums. Um, and there are a few different flavors of that. The most um, the traditional form of permanent insurance is, is whole life insurance, which is typically issued by a mutual insurance carrier. Um, that pays dividends on on the uh, cash value in the account. Um, as well, again, as long as you pay your premiums on time, that that policy will last for the rest of your life and um, pay out the benefit to your beneficiaries. Uh, same same idea for what's called universal life insurance. Um, again, that's a permanent life insurance policy. Um, rather than paying a dividend, uh, universal life insurance policies uh, pay a crediting, crediting rate every year, which is essentially um, a rate based on the returns of the general account of the insurance company. Um, so same idea as whole life insurance, but rather than paying a dividend, um, there's just a crediting rate. And the distinction is uh, a dividend is essentially a return of excess premiums from all the policyholders within that insurance company. So at the end of the year, if there um, is a surplus of premiums paid, that surplus goes back to the policyholders. So re- rather than just looking at the general account returns of the company, you're taking into account um, mortality um, mortality charges and that sort of thing for, for what the dividend ends up being. I can't tell you exactly what how they calculate the dividends. You, you need an advanced degree in uh, actuarial science, but um, <laughs> that's the distinction between those two. And then there's um, what's called a variable universal life account um, which is, or policy, which is actually uh, rather than investing the cash value in your permanent account, in your permanent policy, in the general account of the insurance company, you're actually setting aside that money into uh, investment accounts that are typically invested in mutual funds, index funds, that sort of thing. Um, so I'd say those are the four main types, kind of a subset of that variable, that variable universal life policy is an indexed universal life policy same idea as a variable account, but rather than investing directly in mutual funds, um, you're essentially just getting an indexed return uh, based on either the S&P or some other given index. Uh, you have a, a cap and a floor in any, in any given year where you either get, uh, you get between, let's say, 0 and 12% if the, if the index gets higher than that. Um, you don't participate in that additional return, but you, you also don't participate in any losses in the index. Um, 
So those those are the, the main types of uh, permanent coverage. And Josh, you mentioned um, sort of on the on the employer side because a lot of our listeners who are uh, you know work for an employer, usually a larger employer, they have some type of uh, life insurance coverage through work. Um, mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, we'll get into why that you know makes sense for the employer. But um, most of that coverage, unless you've purchased some additional on your own, you know, with your own. Um, dollars. Uh, it is term coverage usually, um, you know, uh, it's a little bit modified because uh, it's usually only available to you while you're an employee. You know, if you retire or leave the company, you may be able to um, convert it or, um, you know, make it portable and, and take it with you, but usually the premiums are higher. Um, yeah. And the rationale um just to sort of finish the high-level life insurance discussion, why employers offer um, life insurance? A couple of reasons. One is um, when you buy anything, but in particular life insurance, uh, on a group basis, you tend to get a better rate than you would for um, you know an individual. Obviously, there's going to be winners and losers, but uh, for the most part, um, you can get a better rate, um, you know, as a group for a couple of reasons. One, um, there's less less marketing costs or less less cost on the insurer to, let's say, you have a group of a thousand employees instead of you know an, an individual you know going and sitting down with a thousand people and their families. Uh, you just sit down with the employer and say, hey, you know. Let me know who you want to cover. We'll take a look at some basic information, you know, usually uh, demographics, uh, gender, date of birth, um, in some cases, occupation. Um, and then, you know, they provide a an amount, you, you know, obviously not, not going to be a, a large amount, but it's going to be an amount which, um, you know, is something for life insurance. But the two benefits uh, on the employer side is one, it's a benefit, right, for the employer to offer the employee something they can't get on their own at that price. Um, and again, from the employer side, um, sometimes uh, buying uh, life insurance allows them to offer other products, disability, which we'll, we'll talk about in the second hour. Um, but the other thing, too, um, and we may get into this before the break or not, um, the other thing, too, is when you buy it on a group side, there's no, um, there's usually a, 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 an amount, a guaranteed issue amount is what they call it, but an amount by which uh, people, everyone who's enrolled on the date they're first eligible uh, gets that amount of coverage without undergoing medical questions or a medical exam. And obviously for, for some people that's a, that's a benefit. Um, but, you know, Josh, do you agree sort of from the group side that are there any other benefits from the employer? I mean, there's taxes and all that, but uh, that's why typically employers offer uh, some sort of coverage on the life side. Yeah, yeah, and especially in uh, today's market where things are very competitive, you know, it's important for employers to offer an attractive benefit uh, suite to their employees and um, having the advantage of limited underwriting, you know, is, is beneficial, uh, particularly for employees that have health concerns. 
Um, the, the, the biggest drawback I see of the employer coverage is typically doesn't get anywhere close to the actual need um, for for coverage of the employees because um, you know it's it's one maybe two times salary for some select occupations you might get higher than that um, but uh, typically that's just not enough coverage for most people. Right, and in the next segment, we'll talk about sort of the the amounts of coverage. But yeah, I'm sure you get that all the time, Josh, when you start talking to people about you know life insurance. They'll say, "Well, I already get it through work," <laughs> and uh, yep. you know, obviously, again, the employer's doing a fantastic thing by offering um, this benefit. But again, it does most of the policies. Again, you know, the term piece of it where. For the most part, you know, term policies, you know, are exactly what they are. They have those um, protections that you mentioned, you know, the fixed premium um, by, you know, either the the amount of the, the term or the age you entered. Um, it doesn't really have, you know, any type of investment feature. Some don't have, um, you know, the, um, uh, what's the term, Josh, for the... Uh, um, using the benefit while you're still alive but terminally ill. Yeah, chronic illness rider, something along a living benefit. Right, a living benefit, right. So some don't yeah. have those kind of special things. Um, and also sometimes if the employer is generous enough to pay for it, um, the employee and the family sometimes doesn't see the value because there is no... Um, there's no payroll deduction, so they don't really see that um, like they do on the medical or dental or something else. They don't see the value to say, oh, you know, this is really a great benefit. And again, unfortunately, you know, people don't <laughs> on the life insurance piece, you know, you're not going to use the benefit um, you know, while you're living. Um, so yeah. that's the and then that we do this other confusing thing for people when the amount is over. 50000 on the group side is that we uh, impute income and have them pay taxes, which again is, <laughs> it's just a little more, uh, more confusing for people. And that's when usually we get a lot of questions around tax time about what is this benefit and why am I paying tax on something I'm not using? So, um, Again, you know, uh, the group side, life insurance is a great uh, benefit. Um, so after the break, Josh, uh, coming back, we'll start with the questions that you kind of brought up as to, hey, how do we, um, how do you guys figure out what someone needs and what type of uh, coverage? So uh, absolutely, we will talk right after the break. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we are back. So again, this is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton in Boston sitting in for Mike McNamara. Today's topic is life and disability insurance. Um, my guest is uh, Josh O'Gara from um, the O'Gara Financial Group in Woburn. 
and Josh, we spent the first uh, segment just kind of high-level view of what is life insurance, what are the different types, um, and I figure I'll pick one, uh, maybe two if we have time, and just sort of go th- walk through sort of how, why, the why of life insurance. So, you know, we mentioned obviously it's for, you know, protection if someone dies for the family. Um, and let's assume, you know, that, hey, everyone has some basic form of life insurance uh, through their employer, maybe even to pay, uh, you know, the funeral um, expenses and that kind of thing. But what typically, you know, take me from, you know, someone comes to you, Josh, and says, hey, I just got married, you know, I'm having kids. What, what are sort of the things that you you need to know, you know, again, you know, at a high level, what do you need to know to figure out, A, what type of insurance, um, and then also talk about, you know, buying insurance young versus old as well, because I think that's that's important. But sort of walk me through the steps, and I'll ask some questions as we go. Yeah, I mean, the, the, most, the most important or the, the, the biggest uh, need that most people have, especially when they're younger and starting a family, would be things like mortgage repayment, um, income protection, so creating a pool of income available for, for their uh, for their family, um, college planning, uh, and then any other sort of, uh, you know, goals that they have. Um, and really it just comes down to, you know, having that conversation with the individual to figure out what's important to them. Um, you know, there, there's, there's different schools of thought on how to, you know, determine the need for insurance. Um, you know, basic rule of thumb is 10 times income. Um, but that doesn't really fit for most people, and that's why you know it's important to talk to somebody who um, who has a, a knowledge base uh, on the insurance side of things. Um, because just going off the rule of, rule of thumb, um, you know, doesn't take into account your individual considerations. Um, you can you can base it off of just creating enough uh, of a pool. A, cap, a pool of capital to replace your income for a given period of time. So let's just say um, um, I'm making for, for math, simplicity of math, let's say I'm making $80,000 a year. Um, there's what's called you know, the 4% rule um, which essentially says you can uh, safely assume that you can create Four, you can pull four percent of a of a pool of capital every year and have that uh, capital maintained for the foreseeable future. So, essentially, a million dollars of uh, capital should spin off about forty thousand dollars a year. If I'm making eighty thousand dollars, I need two two million dollars of insurance. Now that that is assuming I want that pool of capital to stay there indefinitely. Um, to you know, to make sure that if I, something happens to me, my my family will be okay for the rest of the, the rest of the, their lifetimes, um, creating enough income, uh, enough capital there to support them for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, whether or not somebody feels that's necessary, again, that comes down to a personal choice. So you know, trying to figure out with them if if they want specific goals, if they want specific things to happen, what are those specific things, like paying off a mortgage, creating enough uh, 
enough um, of a of, of a um, enough assets to uh, to fund college. Um, so and creating enough of a pool of money to last for a given amount of time. If, if you don't want if you don't want to create income for the rest of your family's life, how 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 long do you feel? you would want your income to be replaced for. Let's say I'm okay replacing income until my kids are out of the house, 18 years old. So how many years is that? And how much capital would be needed to create income for that given amount of time? Um, so it really comes down to, to the, the goals and objectives of that individual. Um, what they, and these are very, um, these are hard conversations to have with people. They don't, they, it's something that people don't often think about. Um, so, you know, when when you kind of um, put it in front of them, it, it usually takes a minute for them to, to consider this stuff and really kind of figure out what what is meaningful, what what would be meaningful meaningful for them um, for their family moving forward. And, and Josh, obviously, you know, everyone's different, right? Because people have different resources from other means other than life insurance to pay for those things. Um, Absolutely. But let's, uh, let's do a couple of like, you know, examples. Like let's, let's take Tim here, our, our producer who's, you know, he's doing well. He's probably making excess of a million bucks a year here. Working the board. I am. <laughs> I didn't get that memo, but okay, we'll go with it. Sure. Uh, but like, sort of from a a young person's perspective, who may be single, not have children yet, um, what sort of advice do you give them? And obviously, you know, if you're working with them on their on their four hundred one k, or if they've got you know uh, Mike and his team working, obviously that's one of your questions you ask. But What's sort of the, for the young people uh, that may be listening, like what's their, how do you sort of get them, uh, for lack of a better word, excited about life insurance? Yeah, it's, it's really just protection for the future at that point. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of, you know, assets to protect. You don't have a family where you, you need to replace income, but the expectation is that you will at some point. Um, so there's there's really two schools of thought. Just just get a base amount a base amount of coverage in place to protect your insurability for the future. Um, that can either be a term insurance policy for the longest period of term coverage you can get, um, and then you consider getting additional coverage when you have a more significant need. Um, the other consideration would be you know. Uh, getting a policy with what's called a conversion uh, conversion privilege, so you can lock in your insurability when you're younger and healthier um, at a lower cost because term insurance is much less expensive than permanent insurance. But a lot of term policies have those conversion privileges in there. So, um, and obviously, when you're younger, typically your uh, income uh, is is lower as well. So you don't want to be devoting a huge portion of your income towards insurance uh, at that point in time, but it is good to just get a base level of coverage um, to get to make sure that you, if something were to happen in the future that in fact affects your insurability, 
that you at least have some coverage there uh, to protect you in the future. And Josh, you brought up a couple of things that I'm sure people are asking about. So you mentioned the first thing you said was um, insurability. Uh, and then mm-hmm. also um, kind of the the idea of buying it young while uh, rates are lower. Uh, but talk about insurability. Like, in other words, what's the, and this is, I guess, for any type of insurance over certain amounts, but what's the process for actually, and that we're talking again on the individual side, not the group side, but what's the process if someone said to, if you work with someone and say, hey, you need 500000 of term life for 20 years, what's sort of the process for people, assuming that they've overcome all those emotional hurdles, what, what's the kind of logistical aspect of applying? Yeah, it's actually changed significantly, um, even in the last few years because of COVID, uh, it kind of hit fast forward uh, on the, from an innovation perspective for a lot of insurance companies. So a lot of, a lot of companies now um, are doing online applications um, where you can submit everything um, electronically. Uh, it's, it's a matter of doing a, you know, if you're young and healthy, the, 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 there's a medical interview over the phone uh, that could be as quick as, you know, 10 or 15 minutes if you don't have a lot of medical history. Um, some carriers are even doing those medical interviews now electronically as well so you can just answer the questions online um if the that that information then can fill out the application the medical questionnaire that information goes over to the insurance company if they feel the need to they can order an exam um for younger healthier individuals they're not they typically try not to uh, order exams these days um they do they go they Actually, it's interesting. They're going out to big data now, so they're they're going out to you know all these data sources, and they're doing these what they call algorithmic underwriting. And you can literally have an offer in as little as twenty four to forty eight hours now with some of these companies. Uh, some companies are even offering instant offers where you just fill out the application. I'll give you a, a, an offer right away. Um, whenever there's less underwriting, you're typically pay, you could. You could end up paying a little bit more because there is some, um, you know, there's 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 some assumption on the insurance company that they're going to get some bad risk in those, you know, ex- what they call accelerated underwriting programs. Yep. Um, but uh, typically, um, with those online applications, you know, they, they they go pretty quickly these days, and um, most companies are offering them. So um, it's a good option for younger people for sure. And and Josh, just to stop you for a sec. Um, so right, we hear a lot, and there's a lot of advertising now. Um, you know about, and people get a lot of things in the mail, especially if you if you belong to different associations or different groups, uh, affinity groups. You may get some. You know, hey, just fill out this form, send it in. Um, and again. As you point out, a lot of those are for very small amounts, or even some of them are for accident-only coverage. They're not—they're mm-hmm. not life. It's just if you die as an as a result of an accident. Um, but um, just you know, taking a, a further step back. So let's say someone needs that, and they're um, you know 
not nervous, but you know, apprehensive about it. Um, it's almost like it's like applying for a mortgage, right? You don't know until you apply, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah. again, you you're in this business. You've seen it more than I have. I remember, um, you know, and again, I'm in my mid fifties, but when I got my first policy, I literally thought I was like, you know, going in the army. I had so many tests done to me. Um, and, you know, I was really thinking that, you know, oh my God, they're going to find, they're going to find something, right? I mean, obviously they've, they've done enough. Um, but I got, you know, and I, I don't smoke or anything like that. And, and people don't understand that, that, you know, at the higher, when you're trying to get a higher life insurance benefit, obviously, you know, you mentioned underwriting. I think people know somewhat what that means. Basically, it's looking at your, if you think about a mortgage, people are looking at your financial records. When you think about life insurance, people are looking at your medical records. And believe it or not, I think people are finding this out more and more. Everything you tell your doctor is written down. So... Yeah. So things that are in There's your... There's a great Seinfeld episode about that. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> and it's amazing. And there is actually, and it's here, I believe, I think it's still in Massachusetts. I call it, to make it simple for people, there is like this, you know, credit reporting bureau for medical the same in the same yeah. way. So every time you apply for insurance over a certain amount there's a group that gets notified of that and, you know, underwriters look at that because, you know, again, for a bunch of reasons, people, people they don't want to over-insure people. But, um, yeah. but that's what I think people miss that, you know, hey, you mentioned it, life insurance. If you get it while you're young, you become a customer of the company. Now, I've had my policy since uh, my first child, so around 23. And occasionally, uh, not as much recently, but occasionally I would always get offers to increase with no medical, right? Because you've been a customer, um, you've been a you know, premium paying customer for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, they're confident, you know, that whatever they tested back 15, 20 years ago is not not an issue. But, um, you know, for me, you know, just trying to give advice to employees when I speak with them, I always tell them, look, what your employer is doing is great. It's not enough. At least get a policy now so you're a customer. You know, you've been through the process. You've gone through underwriting. Um, and, you know, because again, in the crazy world we live in, Josh, people can be uninsurable pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, it, it's a great point that you bring up, Pat, particularly around, so the, the agency you were referencing is the MIB, the Medical Information yes, Bureau. Yes, that's what it is, yep. Um, and and it's it's interesting, particularly around a lot of these accelerated underwriting programs that exist now. Um, they sound great, you know, at first, you know, at first glance. Um, and you know, there's different flavors of the accelerated underwriting programs. Um, but by and large, you know, it's better to talk to somebody first before you submit an application because. Even if you are, I mean, the assumption is if I'm young, I can get insurance, but there can be some underlying medical issues, not even necessarily medical issues if you've had, you know, things like driving history can impact underwriting. Um, you know, uh, so things, things, things that you may not think of can come up in the underwriting process. 
Mm-hmm. And once once you submit that application, let's just say it goes through that accelerated underwriting program, because of the accelerated process that they're using, there's very little human touch that goes into those programs. Um, so something, something might flag in one of those systems and the computer might spit out a, a rated offer where that may not have been warranted mm-hmm. for whatever reason. You know, maybe the, the speeding ticket, you know, got, you know, uh, got, uh, it was long enough in the past where, it, you know, it, uh, it went off your record or something along those lines. Um, the, the, the accelerated underwriting program, if it spits out that offer, that offer or that rated offer goes into the MIB and other carriers now have access to that information. So that, that rated offer can actually impact if you were to say, uh, oh, you know, my, my premium doubled through this accelerated program. I want to see what other options are out there. Mm. Um, that information is now in the MIB. So if you ever go back and and apply with another company, they then see that and they're going to throw their, you know, antenna up and say, all right, why is this in here? And, you know, it can create problems um, for future applications. So if you talk to, you know, an insurance advisor who has some background and can tell you whether or not the accelerated underwriting program would make sense for you, it can save you some headache on the back end. Um, because there may be a carrier that looks more favorable on a certain medical condition that you have or, you know, a driving, some driving history. You know, some carriers will look at, you know, ask if you've had any speeding tickets in the last three years, some ask the last five years or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you have somebody that can guide you in the right direction, that can be helpful. Um, and, you know, it's never going to be an exact science. You know, things come up all the time you know, that you didn't, that either the client doesn't expect or I don't expect as the advisor, but just having that conversation with somebody can be helpful in my opinion. Yeah, and also it's it, like I said, it works very similar on the credit card mortgage front. You know, every time you apply, yeah. it goes in there. And again, it could be innocent. It could be, but, you know, underwriters, if they're conservative, will look at, hey, Maybe I should ask some more questions, or, or as mm-hmm. you said, I think you use the uh, <laughs> the industry term of uh, you know a non-standard rate, or you know something yeah. not the best rate. And and uh, and this is where I don't know, Josh. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the cardinal rule of asking you a question I don't know the answer to. Um, <laughs> is life insurance still something where uh, smokers and non-smokers are rated different, or tobacco users are rated differently? Is that still allowed in life insurance? It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a higher rate for for smokers. Um, one thing that has changed significantly, again, since I got in the business, is, is marijuana use. Um, marijuana use, uh, it used to, everyone used to get a smoker rate um, for marijuana use, but that, that's, that's changed. And it, again, it varies carrier, carrier by carrier. Um, you know, particularly now with the legalization in Massachusetts, um, their car- most carriers look, uh, are, are a lot more liberal with their underwriting standards around that sort of thing. The other thing that that comes up a lot um, from a tobacco use perspective is cigar smoking. Uh-huh. Um, there are some carriers that will offer non-smoker rates to uh, cigar smokers, hmm. um, like, and, and 
that you can get down to the minutia of actually how many cigars you smoke in a given year, uh, going carrier to carrier. So, um, you know, those are, those are some those are some little nuances that can have a significant impact because you know if I'm a you know recreational marijuana user and I get a smoker rate on my policy uh, because I applied with the wrong company, you know that 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 can be a significant difference in premium versus a, a non-smoker rate with a different company. Yeah, no, it makes sense. The halls are buzzing here at WATD when you mentioned the, the marijuana use. Um, so, uh, and, and I, w- I want to try and get this point in before we um, before we uh, hit the top of the hour. Um, so, obviously, you mentioned and you provided some great insights, Josh, just in you know the the brief time we've had on life. Um, why it makes sense to use sort of an advisor, uh, if it's for, you know, how to answer questions, again, truthfully, but which carriers to go to for certain things, what not to apply for, how to apply, you know, again, how carriers will look at things, the strength, the financial condition, all that. How do, and I'm only talking, I guess, on the life insurance piece, and maybe you can, you know, give a high level, but how do you and uh, folks like you get paid just for the life insurance piece. Obviously, you know, I know there's probably a uh, another piece of it for the sort of financial advice and all that. But on the life insurance piece, how does that sort of compensation work for, like if someone comes in and says, hey, how much do I have to pay you to get me a policy kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, it, that, that's a great question, Pat, uh, because I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, I think a lot of times people assume, you know, they could get a better rate, you know, one advisor versus another advisor. Right. But the rates, the rates are what they are from a life insurance perspective. You can't, you can't get a better rate. Um, uh, the carriers all file their rates for their, 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 uh, their different um, rate classes. And, as, you know, as long as you get the same rate, rate class, um, it's it's the same rate for all the advisors, and the advisors are paid on a commission basis. Um, so, um, essentially, it's based on the premium. So, uh, whatever carrier you're looking at, pay the percentage of that premium to the, the advisor. Um, so, it's a commission-based sale. It's a one-time commission, typically, uh, for term insurance policies. For permanent insurance policies, um, there is an ongoing um, annual commission, but it's usually it's, it, they, it's called heat commission. So usually it's, it, the commission is paid in year one. There might be a small renewal commission every year afterwards. Um, although that, that's actually changing now too um, with the move towards uh, uh, fee-based planning um, where, you know, there's, there's, a need for um, a different payment structure. There are companies now. Now, there's one in particular that I know of that pays just a flat, uh, a flat percentage every year, um, which is, you know, a little innovative because you know it's it's a different flavor on the way insurance is uh, compensated. So, um, but generally speaking, it's a commission-based sale, and it's just a percentage of the premium. Right, and a couple of things, like you said, I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, you know, 
I can say this. You probably can't or don't want to say it, Josh. But, I, you know, for the amount of advice and the value of the advice that the individual advisors give, it's probably not enough because the premiums are very low, um, you know, especially on term uh, insurance. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, the message to folks is the, you know, it's, it, it's not going to change, you know, the premium as to who you go to. I mean, forgetting yeah. the other piece of it, which is, you know, some advisors obviously charge your fee to manage your uh, money or if they're doing like a family office type thing, there's, that's separate. But for the pure insurance product, um, right, the message is the premiums are the same. Each advisor is getting the same uh, commission from that particular policy. Uh, and again, with life insurance with all insurances, uh, you know, there are, you know, there are issues if you don't buy the right policy, right? We see it all the time with people that don't have the right, you know, auto coverage or liability coverage or even homeowners coverage, you know, just because the bank or the state, you know, mandates a certain level, that doesn't mean that's enough. Uh, And it's the same thing, same thing with life insurance. I mean, you can do all the online calculators you want. That's still not, not, not maybe enough. Um, So I do advocate for the fact that, hey, you know, advisors should be paid. Um, The amount is not, you know, when you see the premiums that people pay, it's probably not enough to, for the value of the advice given, um, but people should see advisors. And if they are going online and doing it, someone is getting paid that commission, but you'll never know who it is or meet with them, <laughs> right? There's, yeah, some, there's some marketing company behind, um, behind that or the flyer that you're getting in the mail, um, again, Insurance is complicated. You know, we, Josh and I, and everyone in in our field, for different, we have to take, you know, continuing ed. We're all licensed by, you know, the states we operate in. It is confusing. As you mentioned, Josh, COVID has done, um, has changed our world a little bit, uh, for the good and bad, obviously, from a from a demand and awareness perspective. Um, but also, the, as you mentioned, the carriers, just the number of carriers, the changes in carrier procedures. Again, there's a lot more life insurance companies in your world than there are health insurance companies in my world. So <laughs> yeah. I, have, I get to know a little bit less. Um, so after, I want to, uh, there's a couple, two more questions I want to ask you, Josh, after the break on life, and then we'll we'll switch to uh, disability, which, again, hopefully you've got the stat, because I don't have it, but disability is much more, um, is much more valuable to, to people than life in most cases, because obviously the chances of disability are are higher than uh, than premature death, especially now. So we'll talk about those things with my guest, Josh O'Gara, after the break. 